0: in our country these days. You know, when we as a nation have pulled loose of our moorings and we're free-floating into dangerous waters, in times like these, I consider the faithfulness of Almighty God. I want our church family to understand just how dependable God is. So I desired to to preach a three-part sermon series on the faithfulness of God and upon the promises of God. And as I was reading about the account of the children of Israel crossing over into the Jordan River, uh, crossing the Jordan River into the promised land, uh, I noticed that God had a representative from each one of the twelve tribes to pile A rock taken from the middle of the Jordan River into a designated area. The pile of rocks was a standing testimony to the faithfulness of God. So this morning I gave you a similar object lesson in our church. A pile of rocks right over here. You notice that this, this rock right here is the biggest of all of those rocks, and there's a reason, because that's the cornerstone. Jesus is our cornerstone. No one can lay a foundation other than that of Christ Jesus. And what you need to understand is this pile of rocks is sturdy. You can stand on it. It's firm. They're heavy. I know. I moved them in here. And I also know how firm they are. But that's the way it is when you're in uncertain times when you're standing on the rock of Christ Jesus. We need to understand that. You know, this morning... My prayer is that the presence of these rocks over the next few weeks will remind us of God's faithfulness to us. I've asked three people to share a testimony, one each week over the next three weeks, about specific areas where God has been faithful to them. And I want you to listen to these testimonies and just just hear what they are saying about the faithfulness of God. This morning, I want to ask if Vanita uh, Beckhuson would come and, and share. Um, I've asked her to come and share a testimony. And um, you know, it's not an easy thing to stand and, and and share in front of people. But when you're talking about the faithfulness of God, it's something that we each and every one of us are called to do. Thank you for being a faithful witness. Yes, sir.
1: y'all
0: hearing me okay? Say it again. I need to it again?
1: there for me. And in tucked inside this Bible, when they gave it to me, it said, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. And I found out over the years that that's good. It's good something to remember. Uh, I really started working on Amen. Oh. What's that trying to tell me? It took some time, it took some years, it took some the Lord taking me back again and again and again but I did finally get the message. He had called me to teach and I said how 30, 20, and 21. It says, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall I'm so, a yeah. for me. He opened up things that living here. All the way from the hospital, I barely could see the sky to drive. I was in such a turmoil. I got home and I sat down.
0: i sure. wherever you want to put it mm-hmm. Thank you. First Peter 2 verse five says, "You also as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what are these stones? Spiritual house. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 19 and following, it says this, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho, Those twelve stones which they had taken up from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What are these stones? You shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. Father, your promises are many and your promises are true. Father, we thank you for establishing this church so long ago. We enter into the labors of others and we add our stones to the firm foundation that has been laid. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you are doing. Thank you, Father, for being faithful to us. I pray that in this moment, in this time, that your Holy Spirit would challenge our hearts. Father, that we would see what a great God you are. Father, that we would give our all to follow you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. See, God expects his people to remember who he is. And He expects His people to remember what He's done. God has done a great work in each one of our lives. He's done a great work through this nation. And He expects that His people will remember who He is and what He has done. I mean, these stones, they proclaim certain realities. They were taken from the dry bed of the river. They declared God's power in cutting off the water and allowing the Israelites to, draw, uh, to, to walk across on dry ground. They, they speak of His covenant with them. Twelve in number, one stone for each tribe. They declared how that all of Israel had entered into Canaan. They set this rock pile up in Gilgal on the other side of the Jordan. So that all of those around would see the unity of Israel in Cana land. In the promised land. They represented Israel. The unity that they have. See, these rocks, these stones, they were a memorial also to a nation. A memorial of what Yahweh, what God has done for them. See, these stones, they were were stones of witness. Stones of witness, for in years to come, they powerfully proclaimed what God had done for Israel. The dividing of the water was true, and since they were raised at that very time, they were assembled, assembled publicly in the sight of all Israel, so that no one could say, oh, that event never happened. No, it did happen. And the reason they put the stones in place was because it did happen. And they wanted everyone to know, don't forget to tell your children what God has done and who He is. They were stones of witness. They were also stones of encouragement. Because when Israel looked at them, they recognized God had done a miracle at that time in their life. They recalled God's power and His ability to make their enterprise a success. Think about that. As they looked at those great cities in Canaan, as they saw the vast wealth, as they they saw the powerful armies, they looked at those stones and remembered what God had done for them. They could have been overwhelmed by what they saw in the promised land. But it was because those rocks, they looked at those rocks and they remembered God's great power. And it gave them the courage and it gave them the confidence to move forward in the promised land to conquer the cities. Now while these stones gave encouragement to, the, to Israel and they bore, witness to, they bore witness to it in a different manner to their enemies, they served as stones of warning For their enemies. I mean, the inhabitants of the land there, they they were they were overrun and they ran crazy in sin, not unlike our nation. They had stifled the conscience. People were doing things and and, and committing acts and doing things that they shouldn't have ever done. But they did it anyway, and they were running crazy in sin. And they despised the warning. Because those rocks, they spoke to a power greater than themselves. The day of mercy had passed. And now the day of avenging had come. I mean, who could resist the power and and escape the sword when their God made the waters of the Jordan stop flowing? Who serves a God like that? Listen, sin will not go unpunished. No matter how okay we are with our sin, God is not. Sin will not go forever unpunished. And God's Spirit will not always strive with man. But when the day of grace has passed, the day of vengeance will certainly come. See, the stones at Gilgal today, they're gone. The stony witness of encouragement and warning is no longer proclaimed. But there are stones around us now which give witness. And either our ears are heavy so that we don't hear, or our minds are dull that we don't understand the testimony that they deliver. I ask again, what are these stones and what do they mean? They speak to the faithfulness of God, they speak to the faithfulness of God to his people. In a day when people are running crazy and making crazy promises and and saying things and attacking one another in the public square, these stones speak volumes about the God that we serve. We serve a mighty God. Thanks for the help, brother. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve the God of Moses and Joshua. Yahweh. Yahweh. El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai, Elohim, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha. This is the God that we serve. The Jordan River had been crossed at harvest time. It, the, the Jordan River was at flood stage. It wasn't a trickle that he stopped. He, he rolled the river back in a heap and they crossed on dry ground. It was a huge miracle. But see, he had parted the Red Sea for their fathers and grandfathers. And now he, de- he parted the, the, the Jordan River for their descendants and their grandchildren. See, today, still today, God can be counted on <laughs> to deliver his people. I'm trying to help you see who God is. We serve a faithful God who is a God above all gods. We serve the one true God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe. This is our God. The one who spoke these rocks into being. And we're wringing our hands wondering where God is in this political process. Right where He's always been. On his throne. Maybe we're going through trying times. The adversity in order to purge our hearts of the sin in our lives. We serve a mighty God. We serve a faithful God. We also serve a gracious God. I mean, God's people entered into the promised land as they crossed the Jordan River. And there they discovered it had so much bounty that they referred to it as the land of milk and honey. It was dripping with sweetness and and fatness and wonderful things. They took up up residence in cities that they didn't build. (laughs) They ate of the vineyards that they didn't plant. See, God was providing for them a long time before they even got there. And He is using pagan people to build it, to plant it, to do the work. But you see, still today, God provides for us blessings that we neither earn nor deserve. I mean, God's been so good to us. God's been so good to me. I'm not going to let the rocks do my crying out. Almighty God has been good to me. See, we need to understand that we serve a God that will never desert us. In Hebrews chapter 13, I want to read a couple of verses verse 5 and 6, Hebrews 13, it says this. It says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do to me? I mean, since God... Since God has promised never to desert us, we should be both content and we should be unafraid. Content and unafraid. I mean, since God is our provider, since He is the one who provides for us what we have, we should be content. I'm reminded of a Jewish man who lived in Hungary and he he went to his rabbi and was complaining about the fact that there was nine people living in this one-room apartment. And his rabbi told him, he said, well, what you need to do is you need to take the goat that's out in your yard and and bring it in the house with everybody. And the guy was like, no, that's not going to work, I can't do that. He said, go try it, come back in a week and see me. So the fellow went home and he tried it, he came back a week later and he was more distraught than he was the first time he came. He said, Rabbi, it's horrible, that filthy goat. It's it's there all the time. It's it's ugly. It's filthy. I can't stand it. What are we going to do? And he said, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to take the goat out of the house and come back and see me in a week. So he went home and he took the goat out, came back a week later, and this is what he said. He said, Rabbi, it's so wonderful. There's no goat in our house. It's just the nine of us. I mean, contentment is really a matter of perspective, isn't it? Of seeing what we have and and, and being thankful for it. I think that's huge. Because God is our ever-provider, our ever-present provider. He will give us what we need when we need it. But as that scripture says... The love of money. The love of money. Now, we need to understand that occurs at all income levels. The love of money, which occurs at all income levels, it destroys contentment and indicates a lack of trust in God. Because for some reason, we think we provided it but it's Him who gives. He is the ultimate giver. See, the participle in this passage, it implies a command. Be content with what you have, but what it's saying is being content with what you have. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to plow real close to the corn now. To grumble about our circumstances is to challenge the love and the goodness of our Father in heaven. To grumble about our circumstances, where we find ourselves, the things that are going on around us, whether it's at home, in our church, or in our nation. Wait a minute. Yes. Grumbling about our circumstances is to challenge the love and the goodness of our Heavenly Father. To be discontent implies that He's not provided what we need. Do you remember what the sin of Israel was in the wilderness wanderings? Discontent. Discontent. See, God had just miraculously delivered them from oppression in Egypt, He delivered them from slavery. And he was miraculously meeting their needs, and all they could do was complain and grumble. See, contentment is cultivated by pulling the weeds of greed. It's cultivated by pulling the weeds of greed and by building your life on God and his promises. But you see, contentment, being content in God has to be cultivated. It doesn't just happen. If you don't go out and pull the weeds out of your flower bed before long, it's going to be overrun. Contentment is the same way. George Mueller, head of the China, excuse me, China Inland Mission, he depended on God every day. And he depended on God's people for his support. And he lived simply and he gave the rest away. In one typical year, 1874, he gave... He lived on 8% of his income and he gave 92% away. See, he chose to live simply and lay up treasures in heaven. But giving is God's way to pull the weeds of greed out of our life. Contentment also comes by building our life on God and on his promises. For he himself has said, I will never desert you nor will I forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? See, if you're using God to get what you want, you will never be content because things can never satisfy the desires of your heart. The stuff. You know, that's what we want, and we, we see something shiny, and we want it, and, and we we put everything we have into getting that, that shiny thing, and you know what happens? the glitter falls off. And pretty soon we decide, you know what, this isn't that big a deal. I shouldn't have been so obsessed with it. Only God, only God can fill the desire in your heart. See, since God is our provider, we should be content. And since God is our protector, we should not be afraid. I mean, God has promise to remain with with us wherever we go. Whether it's here or there, whether it's it's in America or Tanzania, whether it's wherever we go, He is with us. He will never desert us. We shouldn't uh, uh, fear the attacks of people. We should not fear um, the things that go on in our daily lives. We should not fear the reality of our physical death. See, contentment comes through building your life on the promises of God. And these promises are not words made by fickle men who sometimes mean well, but cannot produce. The promises of God are true. The promises of God are forever. <laughs> I mean, these are the promises of a living God. The one who spoke the universe into existence. He never fails. God never fails. Build your life on God's promise never to desert or to forsake you. You know, our English translations sometimes don't bring out the Greek. And there's five negatives for emphasis. Maybe the best English rendering is in the hymn, How firm a foundation. It says, The the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to His foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. That's pretty emphatic. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's what he's saying. See, God hammers home the assurance that there are no circumstances ever, anywhere, in which he abandons his children. Even when his saints go through and are martyred, or they go through these, 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 these horrible persecutions. He's there with them. And he uses the trial to take them to be with him in heaven forever. See, having God is all that we need. Henry Kissinger, he observed, he said, To Americans, usually tragedy is wanting something very badly and not getting it many people have had to learn in their private lives and nations have had to learn in their historical experience that perhaps the worst form of tragedy is wanting something very badly getting it and then realizing that it's empty you see our troubles they seem so much smaller when we consider the greatness of our God. Amen. You know, several years ago, I bought a suitcase. And this suitcase had a lifetime guarantee. And it said on there, it says, we don't care who breaks it. We'll repair it or replace it for free forever. A few weeks ago, I learned that the business had filed for bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. And as they go down the tube, so goes that guarantee. In a world where we can't always depend on guarantees. There's a promise that we can trust. Throughout scripture, we find the Lord's pledge to be with his people. And I read from read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse eight. And Moses tells this to Joshua. He says, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. That's huge. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I'm glad that's the Lord that goes ahead of us. Because if he didn't, we'd be in trouble. But because the Lord is there, we can trust him. And this promise is repeated in the New Testament. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, the promise is God's unfailing presence with us. It's the key to living with confidence and contentment. Because no matter how many pledges are broken by people, God's promises will last through all time, through all eternity, forever. Because He is eternal, He can promise and guarantee eternity. Everything else falls short. He told us about how to, how to receive that. In John 3.16, He said, For God so loved the world, that's you and I, He loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's the promise that we receive from the Lord. That if we know Jesus... That we will live forever. Not only that we will live with Him forever, we will reign with Christ. What a joy. What a blessing. This is the faithfulness of God. I'm trying to, trying to help you understand who God is. But at the end of the day, you have to choose. Whether you will follow Jesus... Or not. I give you that invitation, and this invitation is is this. If you've never responded to Christ, if you have never responded to God's love for you by acknowledging Jesus Christ as God's Son, as your Lord and Savior, as the One who died for you, who covers your sins, if you've never acknowledged Him, Then you need to do that. I can't make it any simpler. That he died so that you could have access to the Father. He died so that you could be with with him for all eternity. Because you see, what you see here, whatever you see with your eyes, is temporary. It's temporary. The things that you work for, the car you drive, the house you build, it's all temporary. <laughs> but the living stones, the living stones, they will be forever. Your name has to be written in that book, the Lamb's book, the Lamb's book of life. And when your name is written there, you will spend all eternity with Jesus and with God in heaven. That's what we believe. You know, it's not going to matter who's in the White House. It's really not. What's going to matter is who's in this house.